from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you from these United States of America through Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm Bo Bonner here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute. You can find us at mchs.edu. Bud, what are you doing out there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Here in the potato capital of the world, I'm the Director of the National Institute for Newman Studies, and you can find out about our work at newmanstudies.org. So, Bud, you're back from a trip and it sounds like you are all in one piece. I don't have a visual to confirm, uh, but, but the way that uh, you're talking, it sounds like you're not distressed in too many ways. So I take it that it was a nice trip out to see the old family in Nebraska. Oh, yeah, it was a wonderful trip. And it was our first trip with, um, we, we, had, we had sprung for one of these like large vans that normally, you know, businesses use to transport a lot of goods, but we transport our kids in them. It's like a 15 seater. So that seriously helped the cause. You know, a great thing for, for kids and traveling across country is just separating them by space and it made (laughs) all the difference in the world. Well, and then was this the first big trip uh, for the newest member of the Mar family as well? Yeah, Gemma did pretty well. You know, when they're six weeks old, you can't prevent all crying, but, um, I I will or won't say whether or not I had uh, noise canceling headphones in tow. Oh no, that's uh, essential. If if there's two things that uh, we can both throw out as as essentials and maybe maybe get uh, to sponsor the show, one is like you said, huge vans. It'd be hilarious if the uncommon good was unwritten by fifteen passenger seat vans. Uh, the other one would be noise canceling headphones for dads when they're driving. And I know that you go. Well, that's not fair, meow, meow, meow. But when you're driving and you're driving a long way, noise-canceling headphones, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I think, like, what would be the quintessential sponsor for the show? I know when we first started, we really thought seriously about, like, a brewery. Um, but maybe maybe the trad van is the best way to go. <laughs> well, you know, we were we 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 tried to unofficially get uh the pho restaurant, like the Vietnamese restaurant we all ate at and we're all making these pitches, but you know, they're not quite um sticking. But there's one that does stick, but and that is Mercy College of Health Sciences that has underwritten our show since the beginning, and we want to say thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Of course, that one does make a lot of sense uh, with the show because what more is about the common good than training up the next health professionals to care for people in their time of need and especially forming them in things like servant leadership that Bud teaches, mchs.edu. Well, we haven't said this on previous shows, but I've been thinking about it, Bo. You know, we have listeners not only in Iowa, but sometimes when I'm when I'm traveling, I bump into folks who say like, I've listened to your podcast. And, uh, when we talk about mercy, uh, you know, it's not only for Iowans with that mercy plus program that they've been working on. It can be something that folks around the country take advantage of. So, uh, something to think about. 
Absolutely. As uh, we all go online more because of uh, the zany doodleness of 2020, there's uh, benefits that weirdly spring up and some of the silver lining maybe is folks being a little bit more cool with the idea of getting their degrees online, especially when it comes to uh, make, you know making changes in the workforce if you have to, or just hearing the call of uh, people in healthcare crises and trying to do something about it. Mercy is the place to go look, mchs.edu, and like Bud said, Mercy Plus as well, another place to go look online. Well, Bud, what the, I, I know that an hour isn't as bad a jet lag as when you were over like in Rome and England or anything like that, but uh, you know, you, you get back just in time, and the, the question I'm going to spring for you on air is, do you know when the next big old seismic shift of uh, falling back occurs? Oof. No, I should pay attention to that. Um, I, I kind of count on Rachel to keep tabs on those things. Is there is there a reason you're concerned this go around? Yeah, because um, with other children, you know, they they sort of like get used to it. And yeah. when you have a little baby, they kind of do whatever they're going to do. But we're in the midst of uh, that magical toddler time of constantly navigating sleep aspects. And so everybody's yeah. like, oh, fall back. You get an extra hour. And I'm like, oh, I think I might be getting up at the sunrise uh, because of having uh, an 18-month-old. So th- I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to prepare myself for that being the next thing in 2020. I have a couple friends who are very vociferous critics of of Daylight Savings Time. And I know we've had Leroy Husengay on the show. He's not a fan. Um, I have another friend who, funnily enough, blames it on the Masons. But he's just like, we got to chuck this out and maybe... 2020 is the zany kind of year where it makes sense just to, you know, pull the bandaid, pull the bandaid. That's what I keep hearing. Yeah. So uh, maybe that can be uh, our (laughs) big coordinated effort of the uncommon good is to pull the bandaid today on the show. It's a, it's a good old uh, just bow and bud show. And we're going to get back and we're trying to every so often sprinkle in reconsiderations of basic foundational principles of the show, of the common good, and maybe revisit things we talked about oh so many years ago, back when we only had a 30-minute show. And so now we're smarter, older, wiser, more media savvy, and also have an hour to talk about things. So today we're going to talk about Christ the King, the social reign of Jesus Christ, and what that has to do with the uncommon good. I'm not saying that if Christ was King Bud, we'd be able to kick uh, Daylight Savings to the curb, uh, but certainly maybe everything about our world would look different. So when we get back from the upcoming break, you got me, Bo Bonner, you got Dr. Bud Marr, and we're going to talk about Christ the King. We'll be doing that right after this. (laughs) Folks, if you have questions or suggestions for the show or for the entire uh, station, I guess, it's easy to do. All you have to do is use the zip whip line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, the zip whip line. Text that number and you can ask questions, leave questions, leave comments, ask about, for instance, Carathon that will be coming up later this month, or any of the myriad of things that are happening. The zip whip line. 515-223-1150, text the number, hashtag UCG for the uncommon good if you want to make sure that there is something specific for us. We love hearing from everyone out there in the audience, so please feel free to use it. This is the uncommon good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, and we'll be back right after these messages. 
What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference for Our Searching Souls, Friday and Saturday, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. Speakers include Father Donald Calloway, Sister Miriam James, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mirjana Soldo, Magnus McFarlane Barrow, Steve Angrisano, and Iowa Catholic Radio's John Leonetti. Tickets and information are available through ChristOurLifeIowa.com. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. ChristOurLifeIowa.com. Did you know you have a choice in your child's education? Smaller class sizes, dedicated teachers, a sense of community, and a caring learning environment. Whether it's in the classroom or at home, Diocese of Des Moines Catholic Schools deliver the best value in education, and we offer tuition assistance to help you afford it. Learn more about how the Catholic schools in the Des Moines Diocese might be the right choice for your child. Visit dmdiocese.org schools. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, for sponsoring my show, John Lee and Eddie in the Morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at goldenrulephc.com. Grail Contractor serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth-moving and excavating needs. Family-owned since 1959, Grail Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of, on budget and on time. Grail Contractor, 515-221-9669 or grailcontractor.com. The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar, joining you this Wednesday. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for joining the show. So, Bud, today on the show, we're going to get back to principles, to some of the roots of things. Like I said at the top of the show, um, when we started out, we I think we had like a series of four or five episodes and podcasts where we tried to get back to the basics Uh, Well, we didn't get back to the basics. We were trying to tell people the basics. What is the common good? What is justice? What are things like this? One of the governing aspects of our show is a devotion to Christ the King. We talk about that uh, in our clips about uh, the social reign of Jesus Christ. And then uh, we sort of make a hat nod to St. Pius X's motto, restoring all things in Christ. We could have done the same giving a hat tip, uh, as it were, to St. Pius, or not St. Pius, Pius, Pope Pius XI, or is he a saint too? No, I forget. Uh, there's there's too many of them. Point being, <laughs> Pius XI, uh, his papal motto, Pax Christi in Regno Christi, the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. Uh, this idea of the social reign of Christ is, on one hand, new, as you kind of have noticed, I named two relatively modern popes, popes that uh, have very much to do with the 20th century. Um, and then we'll bring up another one, Leo Thirteenth, who was right on the cusp. But of course, the idea of Christ being the king, the prince of peace, and even the word Christ, meaning an anointed one, which has the character connotation of the anointed king, all of this goes back to the peculiar, peculiar type of reign that Jesus Christ has talked about wanting to bring about through his life, his death, 
and his resurrection. So, Bud, when you think of Christ the King, maybe just to put some uh, meat to the bones, is this something you remember growing up talking about um, in the Protestant churches you were raised in, or is this something that uh, you really found sort of took ground when you became Catholic? I do think it came up as a kid. I mean, we were very much immersed in the entirety of Scripture. So, of course, the idea of Jesus being the fulfillment of the promises made regarding the uh, Davidic kingship were a big part of it. But it really, for me, it started, it was one of those parts of the faith that started to click completely when I became Catholic. And I I love you starting with um, Pius X and Pius XI, though, because I... It's a, it's a good reminder for us that the Feast of the Kingship of Christ is a relatively new phenomenon, as you said. So Pius XI, uh, in his great wisdom, uh, decided to declare this a feast in 1925. And I don't know about you, Bo, but Lord willing and the creek don't rise. If we're still doing this show in 2025, we should do like a huge centennial blowout uh, celebrating the 100th anniversary of that feast day. Let's yeah, let, uh, we, we're we're putting that down. First of all, don't cancel us for a few years, folks. And then next, uh, yeah, big party coming up uh, just in a short five years. I know that that feels like 2020 has gone on for five years, but you know, well, if, like you said, uh, in God's good time, let's let's look forward to that. You know, but he, Pius the Eleventh, like you said, established the Feast of Christ the King with an, an, a whole encyclical about it, Quas Primus. And there's a lot that we can uh, talk about that. But even before he got to that, his very first encyclical in 1922, uh, Ubi Arcano Dei Concilio, uh, when the, the inscrutable designs of God is the sort of English translation, was him talking about um, the peace of Christ and the kingdom of Christ. That's so, like I said, that was his uh, motto. And he's writing after the sort of reverberations of World War I uh, only known as the, you know, if you ever, if you live back then and they called it World War One, you would always be like, when's the second one coming? So they called it the Great War, and rightly so because it devastated so much about the world. Uh, but that starts to be the sort of crux of what Pius XI is bringing up. Here we had this Great War, supposedly the one to end all wars. All wars always say they're going to end all wars. But he looks at the aftermath of everything's going on, and he notices that there's really not any, you know, the, the hostilities haven't gone away. There isn't peace. Class divisions are worse. Nationalism is even more on the rise. How are we going to have a peace in what was formerly known as Christendom? And in a, a real way, he, what he tries to bring up is that what was thought of as an inscrutable part of Europe, even after the French Revolution, even after all of the sort of secularizing that had been happening for the last 200 years, there was still a way that people every so often could believe the myth about a sort of intimate relationship of the European nations and Christianity. But World War I throws all of this into, uh, into not only just question, but into fundamental doubt by most people. And you think about it, but after World War I, uh, basically, I mean, the vast majority of all of uh, the monarchies, but particularly the Catholic ones, uh, like the Habsburgs, for instance, uh, you know, the, the different people, the, the French king, the, all of these monarch strains have gone away. And so now Pius XI is le- uh, left to say, what's going on here? In a sort of August, you know, St. Augustine 
re-understanding Christianity's role in Rome after the sacking of Rome by the barbarians. In in a way, what Pius XI is trying to say is in the modern times, God has sort of clarified what the truest sense of monarchy and kingship is. And that really is only to be understood in Christ as the Prince of Peace. Yeah, well, you mentioned, though, Quas Primas, which was the encyclical that Pius XI uh, promulgated when he instituted the Feast of Christ the King. And if, you know, as hosts, if we could give our listeners uh, a homework assignment this week, I would encourage everyone to go find that encyclical online and just take some time reflecting on it. So much great stuff there. What I love about some of the papal encyclicals, Bo, is that for me, it's sort of like clearing the mind. I mean, with so much of the messaging we receive on a daily and weekly basis, you read an encyclical like Quas Primas, and it's it's just honestly a proverbial splash of cold water to the face. Um, it's I mean, talking about these topics is a challenge to me because like so many Americans, I often get in this rut where it's like, well, if only I could get my preferred candidate in office or if the Supreme Court would you know, stop dinking around and rule in this direction. And of course, Bo, as we participate in the political process that we find ourselves in, all of those actions hopefully are, are pushing towards trying to move to, to the kingship of Christ. But Pius XI, I mean, he gets right to the root of the matter. And it, it's something, as we've talked about on the show, that's, that's a lot more interesting than just simply like party politics. So he says early on in the encyclical that the manifold evils in the world are due to the fact that the majority of people have, you know, thrown off the kingship of Christ. And that as long as individuals and states refuse to submit to the rule of our savior, there's no really hopeful prospect of a lasting peace among nations. And so I guess what I'm saying, Bo, is like, I'm not, I'm not denigrating the various ways in which, you know, so many good Catholics are involved at city, state, even federal levels to, influence society but we have to pray for and remember and come back to that the fundamental reason for discord and for not you know experiencing the fullness of the tranquility of order that you know so many great catholic theologians have talked about is primarily because the nations refuse to submit to the kingship of christ so when we look forward to the consummation of all things it will involve not only the salvation of us as individuals but all nations coming to recognize Christ rightly as king. No, I think that's absolutely right. And there's, there's the way in which, as, an, as a group and as individuals, we have thrown off this kingship. And that starts to be an interesting way to, to really read the modern world. So um, going back to Ubi Arcano Dei, which is intimately related to Quas Primus, but so like just the one a few years before, just two quotes that um, I had flagged up. So one he talks about patriotism. So on one hand, he doesn't want to throw it all the way out. The stimulus of so many virtues and so many noble acts of heroism with, when kept within the bounds of the law of Christ. So he, he, he already says that there's so many ways that loving our patria, right? Our, our fatherland, the place given to us, our family, our people is in, you know, through all the years have, have done so much to actually uh, attain the justice and the charity and all of these things that a Christian is supposed to do. One thinks of St. Joan of Arc, who is, you know, a patron of our patroness of our show, but he continues 
this patriotism becomes merely an occasion, an added incentive to grave injustice when true love of country is debased to the condition of an extreme nationalism, when we forget that all men are our brothers and members of the same great human family, that other nations have an equal right with us both to life and to prosperity, <clears throat> excuse me, and that it is never lawful nor even wise to disassociate morality from the affairs of practical life. So on one hand, the overreaching of nations has to do with a perversion of something that's good. To love where you're from and to do what you can for it is, of course, a good. But just like uh, love of family becomes sort of like clan warfare uh, when, when people have an undue association or attachment to their family, you know, Pius XI is saying that if Christ truly is king and that we have a sort of kingship and a head over us that is familial in the most ancient ways, then all humanity belongs to the same family, even if they're, so to speak, farther down the sort of, you know, close relations of everything else. And so we can't disassociate anyone from that family. And we only can do that if we dethrone Christ uh, in our nations. The other one is individually, where, again, in the same encyclical, Ubi Arcano Dei, Pius XI says, For Christ Jesus reigns over the minds of individuals by his teachings, in their hearts by his love, in each one's life by the living according to his law and the imitating of his examples. And so one last way that if we can't view all of our brothers and sisters truly as a family united by the kingship of Christ— we're not going to be able to unite our minds, our hearts, and our spirits unless we submit to the rule of Christ in our life. It's one thing to say we believe Jesus Christ. It's even another thing to say that, like, sort of socially we're Christian and in some way. But the essence of the Christian life is to let Jesus Christ reign in our minds and our hearts and in the life we live. And, bud, when we dethrone Christ in our societies and in our souls— we have no chance of there being the peace and tranquility, which is exactly like you were pointing out. Yeah. And I, I, I love in quest Prima's pious kind of throwing down on objections that he already anticipates. So he has this great section about a lot of people like to talk about the kingship of Christ as a metaphor. And so it's this neat sort of metaphor and we can, you know, maybe like in our devotional life signal to it or whatnot, but Pius comes back to the point that it's not simply a metaphor. There were prophecies about a Davidic king who would be the, the, the telos or the perfection of what David and his progeny only, you know, represented or signaled towards. And so the, the Davidic monarchy is not simply just this neat idea. It was a reality in history. And the ultimate confirmation of that is that the kingship of Christ is intimately related to um, the incarnation. And of course, all Christians as just sort of a basic idea would be, well, you know, God as creator and sustainer of all that is, is ruler over the universe. But because Jesus became, um, because the word of God became incarnate at a specific moment in history, his kingship, as you've been kind of intimating towards Bo with this idea of like a social reign, it, it's a, it's a, it's a reality that we should be able to point to and to manifest in our own lives. Now, I think Christianity, I, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Bill, but I think it requires a certain level of patience because we might come to have this kind of like 
zealousy, uh, this like zealous passion for the kingship of Christ and want to bring it about tomorrow. Right. Um, right. And that zealotry is good. But as you're saying, it starts, um, it starts in our own lives, like in our hearts and the way that we think certainly, you know, as parents and um, how we govern our families. And so there's a, there's a bit of irony here because I, I may be guilty of this. I've certainly talked to a few Catholics where I had some concerns where they love the idea of the kingship of Christ, but then in their actual lives, almost like chafe against any sort of um, authority. And so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is like the first step to, uh, to, to borrow from a popular song is to look at the man in the mirror and say, like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's probably not, not fitting, you know, in the, in the theological sense of the term, but um, no, I love if, it. If we have a hard time, uh, accepting Christ's reign as it's mediated to us by um, by bishops, by pastors, it's you know it's going to seem hypocritical to others to say like, well, the rest of society needs to get on board. No, I think that's great. I mean, so you have you know in Matthew, Jesus making stark claims: "All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me." So Matthew twenty-eight, but then everything about the rest of Matthew, right, shows the willingness of this King of Kings to be handed over to the power of men to be killed so that he might be resurrected and, and defeat death with death. Revelations talks about Christ as King of King and Lord of Lords. And in many ways is sort of a, a, a grand inauguration festival at the end of time. But who is this King, but the lamb eternally slaughtered in revelation. So, you know, in, in Quas Primus, uh, Pius XI says the word of God as consubstantial with the father has all things in common with him and therefore has necessarily supreme and absolute dominion over all things created. And yet we think about our life in the sort of way in which how does Christ decide to operate that reign? Well, obviously part of it is through the church itself, but most intimately it's in the Eucharist where the king of the universe who has all dominion and power by right gives himself over daily, uh, not only so that he can be the food for souls on earth, but even allows himself once more to be degraded uh, and, 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 and not appreciated, to have all the unworthy communions, all the communions that have been stolen and used for black masses. We think of all of the horrible things that Christ still allows himself to endure because even though he's the king of all things, he bows, as it were, to our great need. And, and allows himself to be emptied for our sake. And that's why the heart in the sacred heart, and this is what we'll get into when we get back from the break, Pius XI in many ways is simply nodding or expanding what Pope Leo XIII said about the sacred heart. And the sacred heart has a whole like interesting history, Jesuits, Jansen is fighting with them, all these things like this. But where the church sort of coalesces the idea of the sacred heart I know in many ways, uh, when I was Protestant and, and looking at the church, there was the sort of sentimentalism attached to it, which I'm not completely degrading by any means, but that was interesting to me. I didn't know quite what to do with it. But when I started reading this idea, of course, that the heart of Jesus is the will of Jesus, right? His love for men, yes, but his will. And so when we submit our hearts to the sacred heart, that there is a regal, obedient, royal aspect to the heart of Jesus that's when things really started to click for me. And so Pius XI says, uh, so he is to reign, Jesus Christ is to reign in the hearts of men, both by reason of the keenness of his intellect 
and the extent of his knowledge, and also because he is very truth, and it is from him that truth must be obediently received by all mankind. He reigns too in the wills of men, for in him the human will was perfectly and entirely obedient to the holy will of God. And further by his grace and inspiration, he so subjects our free will as to incite us to the most noble endeavors. He is king of hearts too by reason of his charity, which exceedeth all knowledge. So, Bud, I, we've got two minutes left, but the idea, right, it goes to your point. Because the sacred heart is sort of the six signal nexus of Christ's royalty, in order to appreciate that, we too must bow the knee of our hearts to the king of kings. Yeah, and I love you drawing on scripture there, Bo, with the gospel of Matthew. And this, this kingship of Christ is not something that popes pulled out of thin air. It's woven throughout the biblical narrative, but especially the gospels and when you were talking, my mind uh, immediately went to uh, the Gospel of John when Jesus appears before Pilate. And Pilate asks him, are you a king? Because, you know, he, that's what he's concerned about. Like, is your authority going to compete with my own? And, you know, Jesus refuses to let Pilate, like, trap him in, in sort of like a simplistic manner. But he says to him, in effect, like, my kingdom is not of this world. And I think sometimes when we hear that, Bo, we're concerned, like we think to ourselves, well, that means it's a spiritual kingship. It's like heavenly. But when we get back from the break, uh, we can talk more about how when Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, he's not saying it's like otherworldly waiting for another day to come. He's saying it's a heavenly authority and therefore it exists above all other authorities. And so he's he's pointing to where his his kingship lies, not saying like this is something that we can just forget about until we get to heaven. No, absolutely. And when we get back, talking about Leo Thirteenth, but I think there's exactly ways that we can bear that out. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Stick around right after this break. We'll be back talking more about Christ the King. We'll see you right after these messages. Folks, if you want to be a part of Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. All you have to do is go follow us with our various social media. You can go to the original Gangster social media site, which is the website, iowacatholicradio.com. You can go there, listen live. If you have an internet connection, you can donate. You can sign up for bi-weekly newsletters. You can keep abreast of everything going on. And you can see pictures, even of people like Bud and I, if you want to waste your time. Also, you can go to Facebook, type in Iowa Catholic Radio, find our page, and then befriend us. And Mark Zuckerberg's uh, great technology that has no problems at all otherwise will allow you to see our posts. Finally, you can go to Twitter, at IA Catholic Radio. Keep up with our tweets and see what we're tweeting about. Finally, the Iowa Catholic Radio app where you can download it anywhere you have data. You can listen live and donate and other things as well. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO... You receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. 
the Christ Our Life Catholic Conference for Our Searching Souls, Friday and Saturday, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. Speakers include Father Donald Calloway, Sister Miriam James, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mirjana Soldo, Magnus McFarlane Barrow, Steve Angrisano, and Iowa Catholic Radio's John Leonetti. Tickets and information are available through ChristOurLifeIowa.com. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. ChristOurLifeIowa.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. 515-225-6742. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop, ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Sunny and warm for the afternoon will be in the upper 80s, mid-60s and clear overnight. A little bit cooler and breezy tomorrow with sunshine around 81, wind gusting to 30. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy, outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mara joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you for tuning in. We've been talking about Christ the King, the social kingship of Christ and how it relates to the common good. Trying to go back, as it were, and reestablish, rethink about, talk once more about the principles of this show. What do we mean when we talk about the common good? What are important things to understand? And so we're talking about Christ the King today. Uh, but we've ran through uh, encyclicals of Pius XI. And as we were pointing to this, of course, not only everything that he says uh, in establishing the Feast of Christ the King in 1925 has long antecedents back throughout the Middle Ages, the ancient world, and of course the Bible. But maybe there's one specific encyclical that predates him that is very much on his mind. So Pope Leo Thirteenth, who wrote a lot of encyclicals, and maybe one of the people who has some of the more uh, famous ones, uh, you know, other than maybe the most modern popes. Uh, he's really well known nowadays for Rerum Novarum, but as my uh, mentor Russell Hittinger points out, Subsequent encyclicals have actually probably referenced Anum Sacrum uh, more than Rerum Novarum. This was the encyclical written in anticipation of the holy year of 1900. So if you can remember the year 2000, bud, and how everybody freaked out about whether, you know, planes would fall out of the sky and everything like that. <laughs> every time, you know, we, we head up to a century turning, everybody kind of gets a little antsy or excited and so uh, the year 1900 was going to be a huge holy year, and that was the year that Pope Leo Thirteenth consecrated literally the entire world to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so this makes a lasting impact. There's all sorts of things that we can bring up, but but I, you know when when you think about that, it's hard to imagine. But like the lead up to 1900 and thinking, what's the Pope going to do to make it a special occasion? And when he decides like, hey, you know, the whole human race, blammo, dedicated and consecrated to the sacred art of Jesus. 
Uh, that starts to be quite the, the, the thing being said by a pope um, at the end of a very tumultuous century uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, how, how the world's faring, as it were. Yeah, as you're talking, I was wondering, like, what's 2020's excuse? You know, I, ex- <laughs> I expect these shenanigans at the turn of a century, but I don't know what the explanation is this go around. Um, no, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right, Bo. And, and, and getting back to that conversation that our Lord had with Pilate, I, it ties back to what you were saying about the Eucharist. Uh, sometimes growing up, I heard preachers say, at the time of the incarnation, the Jews were expecting a political messiah. But but Jesus came, and part of the reason why they didn't recognize the Son of God was that he was a different kind of Messiah. And in retrospect, uh, I would push back a little bit against that characterization. Uh, as we've talked about on the show before, Jesus is inherently political. He's talking to folks and, and pressing his followers about how they spend their money, how they treat the least among them, you know, uh, their marriages, all, you know, every aspect of life that we would say falls under questions of the common good. Uh, But I would say he was, it's not that he wasn't a political Messiah. It's that his politics didn't mirror the way that people were used to rulers operating. And so again, when, when, when Pilate presses Jesus says, are you a King? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, And, and then he goes on to say, if it was, I would have my followers start an uprising to free me. It's basically like, you know, when Peter pulled out the sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, I wouldn't have stopped him, right? And that that strikes us as odd because when we think about ourselves coming under attack, our um, natural instinct is self-defense. But Jesus in his mission and in this conversation with Pilate, he basically manifests himself to be a different kind of king. And like I said, Bo, it ties to what you were saying about the Eucharist. Um, St. John Henry Newman has this great sermon called Omnipotence and Bonds. And he says, one of the mysteries of the incarnation is that you had the eternal son of God make himself subject to, he says, first of all, earthly parents. He made himself subject to the Levitical law, you know, being circumcised, etc. He made himself subject to rulers. And so he willingly turned himself over to someone like Pilate who couldn't properly justly kill him. But in and, and crucifying our Lord, the rulers of the world stepped into a sort of trap. And what I mean by that is when Jesus rises again, that's really the father vindicating his claim to be um, king of all. But it, it's the type of king where if you're saying, like, is Jesus going to operate as, as the other kings that we see around us? Well, the answer is no. And it's this kind of, like, gentle, humble rule that comes to us— um, in a different manner. And, you know, the real sort of like almost like scandalous or the great mystery of this truth is seen precisely as you were saying, and that lowly sinners like you and I are able to, you know, receive in body and blood, soul and divinity at each mass. And so, you know, Newman makes the point that the mystery of the incarnation is extended across time through the celebration of the Eucharist, that the King of the universe continues to come to us, but doesn't overwhelm us with coercion but instead invites us to receive receive him. No, I think that that's a, a perfect way to to keep talking about this. Leo the Thirteenth in uh, the the encyclical he links the kingship of Christ with the Sacred Heart, and so th- this mimics what you, we talked about in the first half of the show with 
Pius XI. So, quote, for he who is the only begotten son of God, the father, having the same substance with him and being the brightness of his glory and the figure of his substance necessarily has everything in common with the father and therefore sovereign power, power over all things. And that in the quote, but yet as he goes on to talk about that in a way though, how did he acquire, what was the, the coronation as it were of his earthly kingdom? What did he do? He didn't, um, you know, go and get crowned with, you know, a bejeweled crown, but the crown of thorns. And so you think about the sacred heart devotion, how it almost always has on one hand, a fire out the top of the heart, meaning the fire of God's love for us, but then the crown of thorns to show that the reign of this king is going to be demonstrably different. And so it's not just the reign of a king that only applies to a certain group of people, a certain in-group. In fact, one of the things uh, Leo XIII makes a big deal about as he's consecrating the whole human race to the sacred heart is that this is not just something where he's saying, oh, well, the Catholics, um, you know, this is for them. Uh, he's much bolder than that. So Jesus's empire, he says, extends not only over Catholic nations and those who, having been duly washed in the waters of holy baptism, belong of right to the church, although erroneous opinions keep them astray or dissent from her teaching cuts them off from her care. It comprises also those who are deprived of the Christian faith so that the whole human race is most truly under the power of Jesus Christ. So such an action, an act of consecration since it can establish or draw tighter bonds, which naturally connect public affairs with God, gives to states a hope of better things. And so, you know, you think about ramifications of this, but that actually the reign of Jesus Christ's heart, because, because it's uh, a reign signified by the crown of thorns and not the bejeweled crown of an emperor, that, like you said, it's not coercive to say that the whole human race belongs to him because he's not like putting on this crown saying the whole human race comes to me and then kicking in doors and making them do stuff. This is the, the gentle, you know, lamb knocking at the door, asking that you let him in to reign in your heart. So your life would be better. I think about this in terms of we're used to thinking of parishes in the United States, quite frankly, how most Protestants do. And I'm not being mean. I'm just, I think this is where we get it, where we kind of talk about parish membership. Like, well, you belong to this church. And I belong to that church, and we all have this membership to different churches. But the parish boundaries are actually like this priest has to extend the rule of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in this area, whether the people go there or not, right? Everybody in those parish boundaries are under the care of that priest. Now, whether everybody comes or talks to the priest or even wants to deal with the priest, the idea is when the priest prays and says Mass for that parish boundary, literally everyone in it, is a part of it. And this goes to show you like what we're saying about the reign of Christ's heart and the consecration of the world to the sacred heart. Yeah, this whole conversation challenges me to dig deeper into the Old Testament <clears throat> because a lot of the imagery that we've been talking about today is really rooted in, in narratives and ideas from the first covenant. Uh, you mentioned earlier Jesus passing on the keys of the kingdom to Peter. And we might hear that passage, I think it was in the Mass recently, in the lectionary, we might hear that passage and say like, wow, that's a nifty idea. Jesus right. gave these keys and, you know, like, I wonder if Peter, like, got a memento to remember that occasion. But that's that all comes from the Old Testament, and that's how authority was uh, symbolized and instituted. So Jesus is actually passing on his authority to the apostles and their successors. It's the same same way with Our Lady 
you know, uh, you see with, with Solomon and his mother Bathsheba that the queen mother was not like a sentimental, you know, office where it's like, oh, we read about, you know, the queen and the local tabloids or whatever, but it was an essential role. And she had an important part to play in the governance of the kingdom. So when, when Christ honors his mother in that way and coronates her as queen of heaven and earth, that has uh, important implications for uh, how we live our lives. Um, And like you're saying, it even transforms the way we think about evangelization. So for myself, it, it's tempting to like, when you're talking to others to kind of do gospel by gunpoint. And what I mean by that is like, well, you better acknowledge Christ as King because, you know, St. Paul says one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And so you kind of like dangle out the threats or the consequences, but really you look like you look at a story like um, the prodigal son and you see that in many ways, what we're calling folks to is, as we've said on the show before, the ultimate form of happiness. And so I think of the Catholic faith, like recently in my conversations with relatives, I've gotten tried to be less bogged down about this or that precise doctrinal point and really be about, you know, like we're inviting other people to a feast and we feel deep down in our hearts that they're sort of missing out on the party. And we don't have to fret too much about how the Holy Spirit uses those conversations. Uh, When you're talking about, um, extending the reign of Christ into parishes, my mind went to, you know, like there's these stories from the early church about about relics. And sometimes like a relic, like a person would almost like accidentally touch one and be healed. Or I think there's even a story of a relic being touched to a dead person's body who comes back alive. And so there's this kind of there's this kind of power in the sacraments and the sacramentals that God instituted that exist outside of our own sort of efforts. And so I think for for a local parish, you know, to to do a procession of some kind, a Eucharistic procession, we're sort of extending graces, um, whether people like it or not. Maybe that's not the best way to phrase it, but I, I really do think those graces and those prayers have this reverberation that's it's not it's not because we've performed some trick or been particularly smart, but because God is operating through the means he precisely instituted to extend his reign throughout the world. No, I think that that exact point is really uh, interestingly demonstrated through the prayer of the consecration to the sacred heart that Pope Leo Thirteenth put in the, the, the encyclical we've been talking about, Anum Sacrum. You know, the first paragraph talks about uh, whoever's praying, most sweet Jesus, Redeemer of the human race, look down upon us, humbly prostrate before thy altar. We are thine and thine we wish to be. It talks about this. And and then the last paragraph in a mini way, grant, O Lord, the insurance of uh, uh, your church, freedom and immunity from harm, peace and order to all nations, right? So the first and last sort of paragraph are, you know, okay, we belong to you. We want to belong to you better you know, give us the church freedom to worship you, all these things. But all of the middle paragraphs, of which there are four, is begging Christ to bring back those who have been lost, those who've never known uh, Christ, those who've been lost because of divisions uh, with um, within the church or erroneous opinions, those who are prodigal children because they've left for other reasons. And then he, you know, for the time, um, I, I would say even forward thinking, he reaches out specifically to um, speak about Islam and the Jewish people and how is it that we can all be one again? Certainly, I'm not acting like people reading a 
poem from the 19th century will think that it's uh, exceedingly uh, ecumenical, but the, it's, it's also not trying to uh, dismiss them as enemies of the church. How is it that all of these people can be brought back? And so this devotion to Christ the King, which when we start throwing out kings and reign and rule, you know, in the modern ears, we start to think of it necessarily as violent or there, there's ways in which people sort of have silly notions about what that has always meant to people. But again, it's the sort of inversion of the common tropes. Yes, Christ must reign over nations, over people. But it's like you said, the gentle savior who defeated death, not with uh, overcoming it with even exceeding violence, but through defeating death with death itself. How do we die to ourselves, trying to set ourselves up as our own individual kings, and then instead let Christ uh, reign in our hearts? And like you said, the Virgin Mary, the perfect example of this, uh, which is why the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart become seen as so intertwined. How is it that I can have a heart like that, where the will of my heart you know, reverberates so much with the will of Christ, and in that way, the reign of uh, God the Father extends uh, in the gentle empire. There's multiple um, prayers to Christ the King that talk about his gentle empire. And maybe that's the sort of paradoxical phrase, bud, that people so badly need to hear in 2020, is that the reign that is to be extended is a gentle empire of love bringing people back from what has fallen apart. Yeah, and I think what you raise about ecumenism, Bo, it presents a real challenge to us, and we have to ask for the prudence to do this well. The New Testament makes it clear that when we when we preach the faith, we need to speak in charity. And so what does that look like? And I know there were ways in the past that maybe Christians interacted with members of other religions that um, are lamentable. On the other hand, I don't think being fuzzy about these matters helps our cause. And so I, I know we're short, short on time, but just with, with that point, you know, I think to myself, especially if you if you think about like Western culture specifically or the religions of the book, the great monotheistic faiths, and we can talk about various ways that we think differently than, than Jews and Muslims, but a very central way, of course, is what we've been talking about with both the incarnation and the kingship of Christ. And I think as we as as we talk to um, Jews and Muslims that we know, you know, finding ways to to say the truth about those matters in charity, because uh, really, as we started the show with, um, our differences are along the fault lines. You know, like for Muslims, they can't; most of them can't fathom how how Allah would allow a prophet to to die an ignoble death. But we know through Revelation that the crucifixion was not ultimately an ignoble death, or it was an ignoble death that was raised to um, the manifestation of Christ's glory. This is this is really the Gospel of John that I'm channeling, and so I mean I feel like I'm fumbling a bit for words, Bo, because I'm opening up a topic that should probably be reserved for an entire show. But um, this is this is part and parcel of evangelization, and we can't really punt on our convictions regarding you know the social reign of Christ. No, I think that that's uh, important to to throw out that whenever we're trying to do the virtue of anything, I know that I just constantly repeat this anytime I get a chance to say it, but there's, of course, vices in two ways and not simply in one. Too often, right, when we're talking about 
the virtue of uh, ecumenism and maybe its lack uh, what you know what 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 does it look like uh, specifically or you know and or in, conversely um when we're evangelization what is the virtue of 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 that what does it look like when we're doing it right there's of course a way that when we say maybe we've punted too long or we've become too afraid uh, to boldly preach the the truth that we know is true and that we believe and believe enough to spread to all the nations that you know we look at our softness or our unwillingness uh, to witness to that and so then the sort of overreaction itself becomes a vice so what that means is um, everyone else is an enemy and we have to defeat them or uh, you know what's going to work is bombarding people you know with all of these ways in which these things can go astray. But that's why I think one more time to return to this idea of the heart of Jesus and his gentle empire and reign is exactly where we're going to center our evangelical efforts better. Because if the question is not about winning arguments or getting along with everyone, but spreading the gentle empire of Christ's love in the like manner that he did so and continues to do so, so not only do we look at his life and what he did or the willingness of his saints who evangelized all these people and what, you know, what's the common sort of thing that we look at that, that they all share that in some way they died to self either as martyrs or uh, their willingness to, to, to take on the many crosses to evangelize people. And then, like we said, we can't say it enough when we look to the Eucharist and see that Christ's empire of his love that he extends is his willingness to quote unquote debase himself on an altar, right? Like to continue the sacrifice, not to do the sacrifice once, but that the sacrifice is perpetual. And that even today he appears to us uh, offering himself up like this. Um, that is where we look and, and I think get the proper understanding of what we have to do. Well, bud, we've in, reached the end of the show and uh, it's, it's been wonderful to talk about it. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, we've been talking about the whole show, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the galaxy, the whole universe, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. But if folks want to keep up with uh, the Uncommon, not the Uncommon, excuse me, Iowa Catholic Radio's prayer life, how might they do so? So the saints are clear that, you know, the kingship of Christ in our lives begins with prayer. That's the foundation. And at Iowa Catholic Radio, we reserve time each day on air to help you with that. So you can join us in praying the rosary daily at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. We also air the Angelus at 6 in the morning. And all of those prayer opportunities are available at any time on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And folks, while you're in prayer, first of all, please always remember to pray for us because this ministry goes beyond simply the people who are on the show uh, that you hear. Uh, It goes beyond the people behind the boards as wonderful of a job as they do. Thank you, Jimmy and Tony. And beyond all the people back in the offices making this happen, you yourselves are part of this mission, this ministry that we allow, uh, that we not only allow, we enable the words of Christ the King to be heard in so many places. Uh, your prayers sustain us. So when you're praying along with Iowa Catholic Radio or you're doing your own, please remember us because without your prayers, that ability to extend the reign of Christ the King is not possible without your help. But also, so all the volunteers, 
volunteer work that people do. We appreciate it so much. And there's so much that you do volunteer-wise that makes everything Iowa Catholic Radio possible. But finally, it's absolutely the case that materially, we are sustained through your donations, especially in this time uh, in 2020 when so many other nonprofits are having difficulties keeping the door open. We want to thank you for all of the donations you've done, but please keep us in mind. The upcoming uh, Carathon, uh, which will be here at the end of the month, is extremely important. It's a very timely one. And so we need your help. And while you're praying and, and sustaining us with your prayers, if you can please consider donating, we'd appreciate it. 515-223-1150 to call in or to text to talk about donating. Or you can go to iowacatholicradio.com or the app to donate. This is the Uncommon Good. Bud, blessings. Glad that you're back at home. Get uh, rested up and geared up for the new fall semester. All right. Thanks. We'll talk to you next week. This is the Uncommon Good, folks, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.